Hello and welcome to another edition of the Godfrey's Law Real Business Solutions Podcast. I'm your host Brad McDonald and today I'm joined by the wonderful Sally Kinneen who's a member of our uh, employment team as well as our civil litigation debt recovery team as well as doing uh, commercial work and the occasional conveyance. So jack of all trades, welcome Sally. Thank you, Ah, good to be here. Excellent, good to have you on board. So um, Sally, today uh, our topic is uh, medical incapacity in the workplace and you'll know as I do uh, in the work that we do um, that this is uh, quite a um, pressing topic, it's something that often comes up uh, and and quite an important topic uh, particularly for employers in terms of how they might look to handle this. Before I hand over to you, Sal, and we start having a chat about this, I'll just uh, remind our readers that this is uh, not a substitute for legal advice uh, because every situation is fact-dependent, and this is merely uh, for information purposes to help you get uh, a better feeling and understanding uh, around some of the issues at play here. So, Sal, talk to me about medical incapacity in the workplace. What, What are we looking at here? So it's definitely a delicate subject, I would say, A main point to consider or to um, remember, I guess, is consultation with the employee. But essentially, medical incapacity is where someone is no longer um, able to fulfil the requirements of their role due to medical issues or injury. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. Yep. And so obviously that's sort of pretty common in the workplace, isn't it? And I think... We're probably looking in the area of not someone who has a you know a short maybe illness or or accident is off work for you know a week or two. We're sort of looking more long term, aren't we, Sal? Yes, it's you definitely have to wait. Um, you have to give the employer reasonable time to recover. So you're looking more at several months as opposed to a, a couple of months when you are looking to consider whether um, medical incapacity applies. Right. Okay. And um, you talked about obviously consultation, so that's a, probably a key theme that we'll keep coming back to today in this podcast, uh, as it is for, for all employment matters, uh, good faith, consultation, communication, etc. Um, but what's a starting point, would you say, Sal, for an employer who's got an employee that may have been off work for a number of months and sort of things are drifting and the employer's starting to feel a bit hopeless about the situation and really has no idea what's going on? Where would they start in that scenario? The first step is to look at the employee's employment agreement and see if there are any um, policies that apply to that that process because obviously um, that's the employment agreement sets out the terms and conditions of that individual's employment. Mm-hmm. So if the employment agreement provides for a process, then the employer needs to apply that. Right, okay. And that's obviously, I mean, that's you pick up on a critical and key element there that I think one of the things we often see in the work we do is that um, sort of people rush in because they might have got to the point where they've had a gutsful and they're like, right, I'm going to go do this. And they don't actually look at what they need to be doing, which is, I guess, the source documentation, the employment agreement, the policies and procedures, and all those sorts of things. Because if you shoot forward without adhering to your contractual obligations, then you're in real trouble, or could be in real trouble, is that right? Yes, that's correct. I would definitely say that if you are considering this process, you should seek legal advice. There may be terms in the employment agreement that you haven't picked up on. Um, Mm -hmm. It's definitely worth just checking with your solicitor to see um, what the best first steps are. Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's really good advice and information right there. 
Um, so yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, once you, for the employers out there who may be listening to this, you know, in a hypothetical scenario of how you might handle this, obviously checking your source documentation before you launch anything. Uh, once you've done that, then going and talk, talking to your uh, specialist employment lawyer uh, to get some advice around your particular circumstance. What might be some of the next steps, Sal, for someone who's been off work for, for a long time in terms of where to next? So firstly, you need to consider how long the employee has been absent from work or unable to undertake their full duties. Uh Um, You have to wait a reasonable time in the circumstances for the employee to recover. So going back to what we said before, usually that will be several months as opposed to just a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Um, Factors to consider include the nature of the position held by the employee and the length of time the employee has been employed with you. Mm -hmm. So... I guess in saying that if you've had an employee that's in long service, perhaps you may wait a longer period of of time just because you want to be fair fair and reasonable. Right, okay, yeah, and there's that key catchphrase again, fair and reasonable, uh, which employers always need to um, hold in their heads during any uh, sort of employment process. And to be fair, it can be hard uh, when you're frustrated to feel like being fair and reasonable. Um, but no, that's 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 really good uh, information and suggestions there. Um, so I think from my understanding from some of the case law, Sal, and I know you've looked at this um, recently uh, for some work we've done for a client, uh, is that the courts, and by the courts I typically mean the employment court here, is typically found in medical incapacity cases that really employers, even if they've followed a fair process, they've checked the employment agreement, done all the right steps, you know, good consultation, good faith, um, responsive and communicative, gone through the steps, you know, even in cases, you know, we're sort of looking, you know, nine to 12 months and longer for, for someone really to be truly medically incapable of performing their role. Definitely, and I think also considering other options that might be available to people too um, has been highlighted a lot by by the courts. So whether you have capacity within your work to offer them alternative um, an alternative role or lighter duties, mm-hmm. those sorts of things also need to be taken into consideration. It's really the medical incapacity or terminating someone's employment on medical grounds is really a last um, option Right, yeah, it's the option of last resort, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So um, we've checked the employment agreement. Uh, we've we've found some information in there about medical incapacity, hopefully, uh, and if not, you definitely need uh, legal advice, um, and even with you still do as well, of course, just to be clear. Um, but we've found the medical incapacity, we've taken some advice, and, and the employer's looking at launching into a bit of a process. So what, what might that process sort of look like, Sal, from your perspective? Well, firstly, it'll be considering the information that you have available to you. So the medical information really that you have available to you, whether that's enough on its own to proceed or whether you need more more information from the employee before you proceed with the process. Mm-hmm. And what, what sort of, just to be clear, so what sort of information would an employer wanting to be knowing about someone who's potentially medically incapable to perform their role? So that would include the implications um, of the employee's conditions, condition mm-hmm. or their ability on their ability to perform their role. So will the employee ever be able to return to work mm-hmm. or their or their full full duties? Right. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. 
Okay, so it's really important that an employer ascertains whether they have got enough enough information, I guess, about the employee's condition, what that looks like, what it might look like down the line, how long it might take for them to return to their role. Uh, you know, so I guess their prognosis uh, and any other factors that are relevant in terms of their medical recovery. I guess. Yes, definitely. Um, it's about having all the information available and consulting with the employee to make sure that you're both on the same page mm -hmm. um, and that you can move forward and try and find a resolution. Mm. Just um, picking up on this need for you know best information, I guess, Sal, of course there's a two-way street here, isn't there, uh, in terms of uh, both employer and employee needing to work together and consult in good faith, so being uh, the, the holy grail that we talk about all the time, responsive and communicative, which is a two-way street, both parties have got to do that. Um, in terms of in terms of that obligation between the parties, um, what can an employer do, for, for for example, in a situation where an employee maybe isn't engaging that well or, or is ignoring requests for information, is is it helpful for, for an employer if they've maybe got a you know quite a broadly worded um, medical incapacity clause whereby they can maybe ask them to do certain things? What can you tell us about that? It is definitely best to have a broader. Um, process because it means that you can shape that process to better fit the employee as well and you're not set to a prescribed um, process. It also means that you you have the ability, if it's provided for in the agreement of course, mm. um, most employment agreements will include a clause where the employer is required to um, follow lawful and reasonable instruction. Yes. So setting out that that request for information is a lawful and reasonable instruction and alerting the um, employer that they are that you do require them to to follow that and provide the provide the information requested I mm. guess it's also about alerting them to the fact that you're doing this to try and support them or find a way forward to to help them back into employment as opposed yes. to scaring them with the idea of <laughs> Medical incapacity from 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 the outset. It's letting them know that no no decision's been made yet, yes. and that you're trying to work with them to better understand their condition or situation, so that you can find a way forward to best suit them and and the business needs. Right, great, excellent. And I think some of those clauses we see, Sal, and I just want to make it clear to those uh, people listening out there today to this podcast. Good on you. You're doing the right thing. Um, you're helping yourself. Uh, is that some uh, agreements just don't simply have a medical incapacity provision in them. Uh, that's why it's important to have your employment agreements regularly reviewed. Um, but some of the agreements where we see the medical incapacity clause in them, that uh, often says that the employer, will hopefully should say, and this is where a good employment lawyer comes in, in handy, should say that the employer has the right to request the employee to go and um, uh, undertake certain medical assessments at their cost. That, that's right, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. And I think a key part of that is that it is at the employer's cost mm. because you are asking them to do the employee to do something that might make them slightly un uncomfortable. Obviously, it, it's a bit of a stressful situation yes. to be in. So working with them and making that process as easy for them as possible and helping, I guess, to facilitate the outcome where you come to an agreement as opposed to forcing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're quite right. I think... 
you know, you put yourself in, it's really important in any employment um, situation or problem um, to try and put yourself in the other party's shoes to gain a bit of perspective about how they might be feeling uh, on the situation. And often in my experience, and no doubt you will sell that, people are sitting at home, they've been off work for a long time, probably are feeling pretty nervous and uneasy about the situation, especially then the employer comes along and says, right, I want you to go see my doctor, thanks very much. And they're like, oh, what the heck's going on here? But I guess it's it's all should all be towards that goal, that sort of common goal of trying to um, truly assess what's going on in the particular situation to work out what what is and what isn't part possible for both parties. Because at the end of the day, uh, an employer's got a business to run and whilst they have an obligation and duty to support employees and act in good faith, they sort of just can't hang around forever and a day if they're, if they're getting met with radio silence and not a lot of information. What do you think? Yes, so... If the employee doesn't engage, the employer then has the option um, to alert them that they're going to proceed with the information that they have available to them. So it's really about taking all reasonable steps. So following up with the employee if if they don't provide the information and then alerting them to the fact that you may proceed with the information you have available to you. So again that communication and making sure that the employer is complying with their their obligations yes yeah right okay yeah and that's really important because I guess the you know the key thing in a um, a fair and reasonable process is that at every step of the way you let um, an employer should be in my view letting an employee know of what comes next so you know look I've written to you about this and then made this request I haven't heard anything from you. Um, I'm giving you another opportunity to come forward with this information. If you don't, well, we're just going to need to proceed based off what we've got. Definitely. And in, in that communication, obviously, advising them of their right to seek legal advice and any support that you might have available to them. As we've touched on previously, quite often people don't communicate because they're stressed or worried about about it. But if they have support available to them or they're alerted to the fact that they've got support available to them or that they can give you a call to discuss it often um, resolves any any issues because they have that ease and they know what's actually happening or the what Brad like Brad said what the next steps are Mm, yeah okay yeah, that makes good sense, yeah, that, that uh, I think um, it can be easy to lose sight of the fact that um, employers have an obligation to offer support to their employees in this scenario. So, for example, uh, if you're a bigger employee, you might have access to EAP, Employee Assistance Programs, or, or counselling. I know uh, as lawyers we have uh, uh, access, um, which is really great, through the Law Society to um, free counselling and uh, in, in circumstances for, for our people. Um, so if you have access as an employer to any of those sorts of um, uh, options, then it's good to put those on the table. And it may just be as simple as saying, hey, look, my door's always open to have a chat, or is there anything I can do to help at this time to, to sort of ease the burden, I guess, because um, you know they're, they're going through something difficult as well. So, Sal, um, I guess moving sort of moving ahead, um, once we've sort of got to that point and an employer's got to that point, um, what, what do you see as happening potentially from there? So once you have the inf- all the information that you need or you can no longer get um, any more information and you have to proceed with the information you have available, mm. you need to then consider that information obviously. So that will include the nature of the employee's employment, 
and the actual needs of the their job, again, how long they've been employed, but also any other steps taken in support of them. So that might include helping them through um, their rehabilitation program, through yes. ACC, um, and then I guess weighing up the employee's capability to undertake their role um, versus the practical needs of the business. Mm. Again, how long they've been absent from work and if there's a realistic probability of of them returning. And yes. again, whether there are any other options available to the employee, so whether that's light duties or redeployment, perhaps they were um, undertaking a physical role, they they might have been in the business for a long time and have the ability to perhaps transfer into their administration mm. area of the, the business. So once you've considered all that information, again, the consultation requirement comes in and you need to request a meeting to discuss that with the employee, letting them know what you think and where you stand or what options you think may be available to them mm -hmm. and get their, their perspective. Yes, yeah, okay, that makes that makes good sense, and obviously important. And, and you know, look, just to I guess stress the point that with that sort of a meeting, you'd be you'd be sending out a, a carefully constructed letter, and again, that's where a good employment lawyer comes in handy, uh, and you'd be reminding the employee of their right to have a support, either a support person present or, or and or legal representative or employment advocate if that was what they wanted to do, because uh, ultimately the possibility is sell that that. At the end of this process, there could be a termination of employment, couldn't there, if, if there's no other options to resolve this? Definitely. And when requesting the information, you do need to alert the employee to that, mm. saying that that information um, may be used um, to consider whether that whether medical incapacity applies. Yes. So being open, open and honest throughout the whole whole process, but again, letting them know that no decision's been made at that mm. point so that they are not scared to provide that that information and it's not just about saying that a decision hasn't been been made at that point it's actually sticking to that or applying applying that and um keeping an open mind and actually considering what the employee has has to say because mm. if if there's a predetermined outcome and you do and you you do end up terminating the employee's employment on a medical basis, uh, it's likely that a personal grievance may be raised and that that decision um, may be found to be unjust. Yes, that's quite right. Yeah, there, there is quite a risk throughout this process and, again, that's why it's so important to take um, specific advice that relates to your actual um, situation uh, at hand. And I just want to pick up on um, briefly that that point you've raised there, Sally, about predetermination. I think it's a really crucial point. I, I often don't think that employers go in uh, with a predetermined view. Some, sometimes they do. It does happen. But I think sometimes employers don't necessarily help themselves by the sorts of words and language they choose to use in these situations. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you just need to be really careful with your language and the sort of things you say. Because what you say might be perceived and heard quite differently by an employee. So you just need to choose your words really carefully uh, and just, um, I guess, reinforcing the whole time that no decisions have been made. This is a process that needs to be gone through uh, to better understand the situation so ultimately some, some decisions at the appropriate time can be made. Does that sound fair to yourself? Yes, definitely. And I think 
um, following through with that is once you have had that meeting to discuss, you need to outline what was discussed so in a letter to them so that it's it's clear. Yes. And then the next step will be if if everything's in, in order and and you haven't decided that you need any more information, and that you release a preliminary decision to them and give them a, a another chance to provide feedback. So again, taking the time with the process mm. and making sure that they've got every opportunity um, to provide feedback and so that even when a preliminary decision has been made, it, it, it's not final yes. until they've had another chance to, to provide feedback or... Um, explore any other options that might be available to them. Okay, yeah, right. And I guess a po- the thoughts popped into my head that I often strike out, and I'm sure you've had this before as well, is that often when we're assisting employers, you know, they want these processes done quite quickly, um, you know, whether it be a restructure or a medical incapacity or a disciplinary, whatever it might be. And look, I, under- I get it, I understand it because they've, they've got a problem that needs solving, but typically sell this specific process for a medical incapacity could take quite some time, couldn't it? Definitely. When you have to assess whether you've given them reasonable time to recover, you also need to give them reasonable time to respond. So generally there might be a week or even more in between um, each step of the process because often when people are stressed out, they it, it's a lot harder to consider everything and provide feedback. So you need to give them reasonable time to kind of mull it over, um, make sure they understand everything and actually, yeah, take time and and step that process out because if if you go full steam ahead, it's likely (laughs) that you will will miss something, you won't consult properly and you won't be um, seen to have considered their views. Yeah, and then you open yourself to that danger of that costly personal grievance claim, don't you? Definitely. It's, It's about whether you take... Take the time time now and do it do it properly, or um, you're staring down the barrel of an expensive and m- even more timely um, process at the end of it. That's right, yeah, time-consuming process at the end. Uh, not to mention the stress and the distraction that causes for business owners having to deal with a personal grievance claim, and that's, that shouldn't be underestimated. So that should be good enough motivation in and of itself to get these sorts of things done right, as well as the fact just echoing something you said earlier, Sal, which really resonates with me is, you know, it should really termination should really be a decision of last resort. We're, we're talking about someone's livelihood. We're talking about someone's reputation and self-esteem. A lot of people have a lot of self-esteem and pride wrapped up in their, their job and what they do. Um, so, you know, it needs to be handled really carefully and thoughtfully, I might add. Um, and you know, I guess that brings me to, to the next question, Sal, is once you've gone through all that process and you've got some feedback from the employee, what happens then? Well, what could happen then? <laughs> I should say. <laughs> well, I guess that it's back to um, if if you do agree that perhaps they are unable to return to their their role and there aren't any other um, options available to them within the business, it might be that you have a um, without prejudice discussion about um, medical retirement. So medical retirement allows an employee to leave an, ex- an organisation with um, dignity where they can look um, for a different job that's not, where they're not limited by their illness or injury, but it has to be um, mutually agreed. And usually that will come with 
other terms such as um, perhaps some compensation to provide them with a little bit of financial security while they look for um, other employment or while they recover. Yes. However, um, that conversation needs to be handled very delicately yes. and we would recommend um, seeking legal advice before having that conversation because if if it, if it goes wrong, it, it could be seen that you're trying to push them out or um, put them towards that or perhaps that you've already made made that decision. Um, there are certain requirements that you have to meet for a without prejudice conversation to be without prejudice. Mm. So without prejudice essentially means that um, that conversation or the, the um, contents of that conversation can't be disclosed in legal proceedings further down the line. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Really important point that that obviously if an employer was looking to have those sorts of discussions, I guess one option is uh, you know potentially they could make a finding if if that was appropriate of medical incapacity and then maybe have that discussion with a little less risk perhaps. It all comes down to the specific facts of the circumstance you're dealing with in terms of the appropriateness of the timing or otherwise. Um, but yeah, echoing uh, what Sally has said that the importance of um, treating very carefully and taking um, detailed legal advice before you launch into that sort of area. Uh, can be tempting, and sometimes you know it, it, it can all be resolved in that manner. But uh, it can be fraught with difficulty as well. Yes, it's definitely hard when, especially when you've had an employee working for you for a long time, and you may feel as though you know them really well, and you may you may know them very well. But obviously, like we've said before, it's it's a stressful situation to be in, and you don't know how people are going to react. So that if you start off the bat without following the process. Um, and start with that that conversation, it, it really makes things difficult because you can't have that conversation and, and not agree on it and then launch into the medical incapacity process. So again, mm. seeking legal advice is really important in these situations because there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. It's, yeah, very true, very good way to put it. So no one-size-fits-all fit, approach. It's not like a baseball cap that supposedly fits everyone's head. Um <laughs> So, okay, so we basically sort of got to the end of the road and I guess at this point, Sal, um, potentially once an employer's gone through a fair and reasonable process, they've considered all the information that's available, sought more if required, consulted with the employee, advised the employee of their rights and stepped it through in an appropriate um, and, and time-sensitive um, manner, um, that then uh, potentially it's open to an employer to make a finding of medical incapacity, thereby uh, bringing an employee's employment to end to an end, so a termination, um, because the, the, in essence the uh, employment uh, agreement has been frustrated by the employee's inability to perform the role they were uh, contracted to do. Yes, so once you've released your preliminary decision and if you, if you and provided the employee a chance to provide any further feedback, if you haven't received any feedback that materially affects your decision, you can then move to implement that decision so that will involve sending a letter to the employee and outlining the steps that you've taken throughout the process so that that it's clear yes. and the decision reached. Mm -hmm. And and so if that decision cell was that there was a termination due to medical incapacity, an employer I imagine is required to do the sort of sorts of things it's required to do on any termination, so give notice, appropriate contractual notice, etc. Definitely. So this process doesn't um, void any other obligations you have under that. Um, employees' employment agreement, you still have to provide notice and adhere to any other relevant terms. 
right of the, of the employer's employment agreement. Yeah, no, really good point. Well, look, Sally, I think um, they're all the questions I had today. Um, obviously, there's a lot of information in here, and I'll just remind listeners today that this um, is for information purposes only. This can't replace um, detailed, considered legal advice for your own particular individual circumstance that you might be faced. Um, I would say that this is an area that is um, a fertile ground for personal grievance claims uh, and, and that you must, must proceed very cautiously. Uh, you know, there, there is a way through this um, and that's what Sally's um, uh, shown us today uh, in very uh, considered and thoughtful uh, way. Thank you, Sally. Um, but it's something you just need to tread very carefully on because the costs of getting it wrong, both for the employee concerned as well as for your business, are huge. So look, Sally, thank you so much um, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on board the Real Business Solutions podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome and I look forward to hearing more from you throughout the series in 2023 as part of uh, getting some of the team members on board to share your uh, experience and skills. That sounds wonderful. Excellent. Thank you so much uh, once again to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Real Business Solutions podcast. I hope you have a great day and we look forward to uh, sharing with you again soon. Take care.